Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue to reflect into uh, this very rich topic of theology of the body, and it really is an honor and a privilege to be able to journey with you. This is the one topic that I get uh, the most discussion out of, for sure. Uh, While all programming has its subject matter that leads to excellent and most invigorating conversation, there isn't any one program, uh, even more so than Pope Francis, that gets more conversation than Theology of the Body. And it really is a privilege, it really is an honor to be able to journey with you in this all-important subject matter that has us constantly going back, asking new questions so that we might gain a deeper appreciation of what this subject matter is all about. And uh, we are in the work, Fill These Hearts, a work that is authored by Christopher West, um, where he reflects into the deeper meaning of theology of the body through uh, the prism and lenses of a contemporary context. Uh, he does a great job of uh, laicizing, if you will, some of the denser thoughts that come from theology of the body. So um, I was hoping to have Chris Seibert and Derek Allen with me this week, but they uh, are both out of town, so uh, I was unable to get them uh, in the studio, but I look to get them next week. With that, if you are a faithful listener, you know we are in chapter 5 of this work titled The Living Hope of Satisfaction. Um, so this chapter has us focusing on uh, the relationship between hope and the redemption of our bodies. It really has us focusing in on the seeking aspect of desire. Remember, we are still in that first section of desire, and certainly uh, hope is uh, really intrinsic to um, a desire that belongs to God. So with that, uh, what can we say about this living hope of satisfaction. It's interesting, last book we looked at the love that satisfies, and and maybe this chapter, as much as any other chapter, addresses the essence of that book, uh, the love that satisfies, and you can probably find that in the title of the chapter itself, The Living Hope of Satisfaction. You know, my friends, we are all uh, looking for an ecstasy and bliss that lasts forever, huh? We are all looking for a union and intimacy in which everyone and everything is reconciled in that uh, rapturous love, in which every human heart, as we spoke to it last week, is on fire with divine love, uh, divine joy, and divine peace. We're all looking for an eternal homeland in which evil is no more, where all wrongs are set right, every injustice is addressed and all pain and sorrow and suffering are redeemed, where every tear is wiped from our eyes. And yet, we look around at the world we live in today, not to mention the junk (laughs) in our own hearts, and it is abundantly clear that quite simply, we still haven't found what we are looking for. And so, we are made to seek. Now, you have heard me define theology 
as faith-seeking understanding. That really is the essence of it. That is the definition that comes to us from the ancients, right? You've also heard me talk about the seeking understanding within the context of more general terms, uh, the spiritual life. But maybe for our discussion this evening, we can just simplify it to the seeking, right? That theology is the seeking, faith-seeking understanding. We read in Matthew 7, 7, what? Seek and you shall find. This is the essence of the journey, huh? The essence of the spiritual life. This constant ongoing search driven by a mad desire and an unquenchable thirst that haunts us and never quits. Christianity does not supply ready-made answers to life's questions, and it certainly doesn't erase the yearning we feel inside. Rather, it awakens that yearning, and it increases it at some points unto folly, unto madness, and as the mystics remind us, unto infinity. Among all the, uh, the great mystic saints, St. Tres of Lisieux wrote of uh, this folly, this madness, with particular expressiveness, we can say. This is St. Tres of Lisieux, and Christopher West highlights St. Tres. She says this, Ah, my Jesus, pardon me if I am unreasonable in wishing to express my desires and longings which reach even unto infinity. Pardon me and heal my soul by giving her what she longs for so much. Jesus, Jesus, if I wanted to write all my desires, I would have to borrow your book of life. When you read Therese, you discover that she was afraid of being overwhelmed under the weight of her bold desires, which were, according to her own words, greater than the universe, and caused in her this martyrdom. And yet she was convinced that God would not allow her to experience such bold desires, as she put it, unless he wanted to grant them. She says, I am certain then that you will grant my desires, I know, oh my God, that the more you want to give, the more you make us desire. So with such confidence and desire satisfaction, ardent thirst itself, St. Therese says, becomes the most delightful drink of his love. And so the seeking itself, when we embark upon it wholeheartedly, offers what? but this rich kind of satisfaction in this life. So long as we are on earth, we live in the tension of what some theologians call the already but not yet of redemption. Benedict XVI talks about this a lot, where the living bread has already come down from heaven, and we already have access to it in the here and now through the life of prayer and the sacraments, and of course, especially Holy Communion. But the sacramental life is not yet life in its final form. It's not yet the ultimate arrival. You see, Christ, our life, has already come to us, but he also tells us what? That it's for our own good that he goes away. Huh? In John chapter 16, verse 7, the English artist and mystical writer Carol Hauslander says this, he goes away that we may seek him. The sense of loss, the awareness of insufficiency, makes us long for him as he is. 
It makes us willing to go out from ourselves and find Him where He is. That's why it's good for us that He goes away. The emptiness we feel, the gnawing void, must be there that He may fill it, and we must be aware of it, says Houselander, in order that we may want Him to fill it. So, that wanting Him to fill it, ultimately, my dear friends, becomes our most ardent desire, our most ardent hope. And it is that living hope that enables us to bear with the torments of our yearning in this life. You know, what is hope? Hope is that virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness. And what do we do? Well, we place our trust in Christ's promises. You see, hope as a Christian virtue redirects our desires towards that which alone can satisfy them, opening up our hearts in expectation of the eternal bliss for which we are created. In other words, hope directs desire according to the divine design, enabling us to reach what? Our ultimate destiny. Uh, Paul speaks to this in his epistle, chapter 8. What do we read? Chapter 8, verses 22 to 24. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. So, Paul proclaims that hope in the redemption of our bodies is what saves us as Christians. As we said from the outset, our bodies, my dear friends, are not mere shells in which our souls dwell. We are incarnate spirits, and as John Paul II would like to say, spiritualized bodies. The redemption of our bodies is the redemption of what? Our incarnate humanity. The redemption of the body is the hope of living a perfectly integrated life, body and soul. You know, there's so many questions out there as it relates to the transgender lifestyle. My dear friends, we are not souls imprisoned in our body. No, we have to see one in light of the other. Uh, I pray for all those who struggle with that for sure, but let it be a struggle. Let us seek, (laughs) seek to understand whatever it is that needs to be understood probably a wound, a social wound of some sort, a past hurt, whatever it might be. But let us not slip into this mindset that we are imprisoned in our bodies and that we can only unshackle those chains by changing our sex. I believe this to be a terrible mistake, and certainly the church does as well. The church doesn't hate. We use this word hate. The church doesn't hate the transgender person. That's silly. No. But in light of 2,000 years of sacred tradition, she wants us to ask the necessary questions as she bears witness to the greater truth of Jesus Christ, who is fully human, fully divine, who helps us realize what it means to talk about the redemption of our bodies, that we see our bodies in light of our souls and vice versa. Huh? Very, very important in these days, 2015. So, again, 
the redemption of the body is the hope of living a perfectly integrated life, body, and soul. Those are the words of Christopher West there, um, by the way. It is the hope of having every longing fulfilled and participating in the eternal wedding banquet. And it is precisely a living, trustworthy hope in this banquet that what saves us in this life. And Christopher West poses the question, but saves us from what? Hope in the banquet saves us from sin, first and foremost. The sin of what? The sin of despair. When there is no hope of an eternal banquet that will satisfy our hunger, what happens? Well, (laughs) our hunger is only a cause for despair. That's what despair is, hopelessness. In turn, when there is no hope of an eternal banquet that will satisfy our hunger, what do we do? Well, we start grasping at the pleasures of this world in a very disordered way. What we are seeing in today's confusion within the context of sexuality is a byproduct of the absence of God, where we begin to grasp at the pleasures of this world in a disordered way. We take our desire for infinity to finite things, and we miss the mark. Remember that the Hebrew word for sin literally means to miss the mark, okay? This is what uh, Paul translates in the Greek. To sin is to miss the mark. The Hebrew word for la, yada, is an archery term. It is to actually strike bullseye. To live in the heart of God is to do what? strike bullseye, which is no easy thing for anyone who just picks up a bow and arrow and shoots for the target, shoots for the bullseye, right? It takes time. And likewise, if we are going to live in the heart of God and do it well, we need to develop the necessary habits and acquire those virtues, huh? Otherwise, we will be missing the mark. Hope in the eternal banquet enables us to direct our desires for infinity to infinity, thus saving us from missing the mark, that is, saving us from sin. Christopher West turns his attention to Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI's great encyclical, uh, Saved in Hope. It is there where Benedict XVI says this, and I love this quote, Redemption is offered to us in the sense that we have been given hope, trustworthy hope, by virtue of which we can face our present. The present, even if it is arduous, can be lived and accepted if it leads towards a goal. If we can be sure of this goal, and if the goal is great enough to justify the effort of the journey. Our quest, my dear friends, for happiness, puts us on a rugged mountain pass for sure, with many obstacles, many challenges, and many dangers to overcome. But that's just it. They are meant to be overcome, even when it seems unbearable. What does Job say? Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Certainly, sometimes it seems as much. Christopher West says, sometimes people ask me, are you happy? I always want to say that it depends how you define the term. Because St. Augustine said that happiness is having everything you want and want nothing wrongly. Christopher West goes on, if that's what's meant by the question, then my answer, so long as I'm on this earth, will be not yet. And why? Well, my dear friends, because 
we are pilgrims. This life offers many incredible glimmers of happiness, but not happiness itself, at least not happiness as defined by Augustine. But we ought to have hope in happiness. We should have hope that someday we will have everything we want and want nothing wrongly, which is to say that someday our desire for infinity should be met with what? Infinity. Not in some kind of ethereal way, but in a tangible, even bodily way. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, infinity has given itself over to us in a very tangible way, in a very bodily way. And in Jesus Christ, infinity has been promised as an unfathomable gift. Indeed, as Christopher West notes, human participation in infinity is where we find our happiness and really our joy, huh? Somehow, and how we do not know, our human bodily selves will one day be what? Glorified, divinized. If that is, we have the courage to open eros, lowercase e, to eros, capital E, huh? Moreover, not only will we possess infinity, but we will be possessed by infinity. Not only will we have the fire of love we long for, we will become it. Here we have the image of St. John of the Cross, where he talks about how the log that catches fire burns so hot that it actually becomes the fire itself. This is what it means to be on fire for God. Huh? And this is the hope that Christ holds out to us. And uh, as Christopher West notes, and I concur 100%, I don't know about you, but if this is real, I want in. And so how does one gain access? But faith, my friends, as John Paul II speaks to it, faith in its deepest essence is the openness of the human heart to the what? Gift to the gift of infinite bliss that is God himself. Let us pray those words that come to us from the gospel, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If we enter into this hope, if we stake our life on it and place our faith in it, opening our hearts to it, we will indeed be saved in hope, and as Benedict XVI notes, saved by hope. In turn, that hope of satisfying eros will indeed provide some real, tangible happiness in this life. And is this not what we are looking for? When hope breaks through our fears and our doubts, life simply takes on a new shape and form. It is different. I know for many of us, at the very least, I think we have caught a glimmer of that. Because in that different life. We have a true sense of purpose. We have a true sense of direction. We have a true sense of meaning. We now begin to live a purpose-driven life. We have a destiny, my friends. We have an inheritance, and we just need to claim it. Mm. Beyond the tears of sorrow and sadness that we shed in this life, hope brings tears of sweetness and joy. I love this line that comes to us from Christopher West, where he says, Hope may break through in a song 
a sunset, a poem, a movie, an unexpected act of kindness, a good laugh, the birth of a child, the embrace of a loved one. And when these moments come, they really can't really be manufactured, although we can dispose ourselves to them, we should drink them in and listen. If we listen, we can almost hear a voice whispering to our hearts, it is good to be here. Rest for a while. Savor it. For this is a taste, a taste of what is to come. Let it lift you up. Let it fire you up. Let it give you hope. You are not crazy. You are not wrong to believe there's something more. You will not be unhappy. Have faith. Trust. Open to the gift. It's coming. Your desire for life is not in vain. That is Christopher West. Beautiful. Here he turns his attention to Shawshank Redemption, one of my uh, favorite movies. And if you're familiar with the movie, you know why, because that movie so often talks about hope. The whole movie is about hope. (laughs) The tagline, in fact, on the poster itself reads what? Fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. Uh, What is the movie about? The story begins, as many of us know, when Andy Dufresne, played by, of course, Tim Robbins, is sentenced to two life terms at Shawshank State Prison for a double murder he did not commit. He becomes fast friends with a fellow inmate by the name of Red, who, as many of you know, again, is played by Morgan Freeman, who himself is serving a life sentence for a murder he did commit. As we let the story sink in, we realize that the prison serves as an allegory for this world. What is an allegory? An allegory is the description of one thing under the image of another. And in this world, various characters represent different human approaches to uh, the shackles, the, the burdens, and the injustices of life. The enemy of hope in this film is nothing more than institutionalization. The process by which inmates become so familiar with and dependent upon the routine of prison life, that freedom, as the movie explains, life on the outside, appears as a kind of mirage, as it was for Red, or as a threat, as it was for another character named Brooks, the old librarian many of you know. And a fascinating uh, scene. Brooks was released on parole as an elderly man, But because he had spent the majority of his life beyond bars, freedom was so disorienting and fearful, he actually ended up hanging himself in his halfway house apartment. There's a great line from uh, Brooks when he has left the prison where he says, after being in prison for so long, life has gotten itself in just one big hurry. (laughs) That line just really struck me. Um, Anyhow... The fate of Brooks ultimately shows us that a person can remain imprisoned even when he's free. On the other hand, Andy shows us that one can remain free even while imprisoned. Um, Christopher West here remarks on one of his favorite scenes from the movie, and I'll just go ahead and read him here. He says this, One of my favorite scenes, not only in this movie, But of any film ever is when Andy, knowing full well it will cost him time in solitary confinement, locks himself in the warden's office and plays a piece from Mozart's 
the marriage of Figaro over the PA system for everyone in the prison to hear. Hardened criminals stop in their tracks, pierced by beauty. Andy reclines in bliss at the warden's desk, and Red observes that for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. As the scene continues, the enraged warden bangs on the door and yells to the glass and Andy to turn it off. Andy motions as if to follow the order, then pauses briefly to weigh a decision. Knowing full well he'll get even more time to hold for what he's about to do, he looks the warden straight in the eye and turns the volume up. A kind of holy defiance, if you will. That willingness there to suffer greatly for what the sake of beauty. It's interesting. In the next scene, we see Andy returning to the lunch table after his time in solitary confinement. And what follows provides the key to the whole movie and certainly why Christopher West is talking about it. When one of his buddies asks Andy if his little stunt was worth two weeks in the hole, Andy says it was the easiest time he ever did because Mozart kept him company. That's the beauty of music, Andy says. They can't get that from you. But his buddies don't understand. Huh? Haven't you ever felt that way about music? Andy asks. Red responds that he played a mean harmonica when he was younger, but it didn't make sense to keep it up when he came to prison. Andy insists. Here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. And then there's this exchange between Red and Andy that is gripping. Red says, forget. Andy says, forget that that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's something inside that they can't get to, that they can't touch. It's yours. Red, played by Morgan Freeman, says, what are you talking about? Andy, pausing and peering into Red's eyes, says, hope. Red, befuddled, says, hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that. And Andy's response was, like Brooks did. (laughs) Later, as many of us know, in the story, Andy acquires a gift for Red. Something to help him remember. Something to restore his hope and lead him to freedom. A harmonica. In the storyline, this is analogous to the gift Red had acquired for Andy years earlier something that gave him hope and led him to freedom, a small rock hammer. Andy used it to carve chess pieces. And little by little, over 20 years, unbeknownst to Rad or anyone else, Andy made a hole through his cell wall through which he eventually escapes. As far as the movie goes, it ends with Andy and Red's joyful reunion on a beautiful beach in Mexico. In the movie... Andy had once told Red about this beautiful place and how one day Red could find him there. And after 40 years in prison, Red is released on parole and sent to the same halfway house where Brooks hung himself. Haunted by that fate, he follows Andy's invitation, breaks his parole, and boards a bus bound for the Mexican border. The final words of the movie are Red saying, What I hope. You see, Andy Dufresne taught Red about hope, and it was the hope and the potential yet unseen 
that led to their reunion. Amen to that. I'm looking up at the clock and we're out of time. We will pick up here uh, next week. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.